What if there was one thing, one small thing that you could do that would radically transform your life? What if that one small thing would not only change your life, but your neighbors, your your entire community, and people all over the world for all of eternity? Would you do that small thing? What if that one small thing went against everything you thought and felt was normal in your soul? Would you do it? I want to say good morning. Uh, My name is Adam. Welcome to the Mount. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm excited to be with you this morning as we start a new series titled Start Small, Think Big. And uh, I'll just be honest with you right from the beginning. We are beginning a series, as she said, on generosity. And more specifically, we're talking about being generous with our money. Now, control yourself. I get it, right? Like, uh, we're talking about money. I know I see you. You're leaning over to your neighbor thinking, yes, I'm so excited. Everything I was praying about and hoping about, he's talking about today. I'm so excited we came. You're fist bumping. You're celebrating. I get it. I I just need to control yourself. I know it's your favorite topic, and you're really excited to talk about this. (laughs) No, in all honesty, though, I do want to say that maybe you're here for the very first time today, and you walked in, and you're, you're not following Jesus, and you're not sure about this whole God thing. And you walked in and you had these preconceived ideas of what church is like. And one of those was they only care about our money. And then this just affirmed it for you. I just want to say that's not true. Um, Please go back online and look at some of our previous messages. We haven't, we don't talk about money very often. In fact, I can honestly say this is the very first time I've ever talked about money here at the Mount, right? Like (laughs) I've only been here two months, but it is still the very first time. I promise we don't talk about it that often, right? Uh, No. So we're going to talk about generosity. And here's the thing. um, We, it's interesting to me when we talk about generosity and talk about money because it, we don't like to do it. It's uncomfortable at times because if it's done wrong, we feel this, this guilt and like we talked about a couple weeks ago, which can lead to shame. And so here's what I wanna do is I wanna set up the foundation of this series today. And I wanna start by saying this. Um, there's something about generosity and money and how it can radically transform our lives. In fact, when we read scripture, when we read the Bible, what we see is over and over and over again, God talk about the importance and significance of how we relate and handle and think about our money. In fact, in scripture, we see over 2,300 verses talking about money. That's more than faith and prayer combined in all of scripture. Scripture talks about it that much. It's that important. In fact, Jesus, of all the things that Jesus said in the New Testament, 15% of everything he said was about the topic of money. More than he talked about heaven and hell. More than he talked about faith. More than he talked about prayer. Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. And I think this, and I, and I hear this, and I hear all the scriptures that talk about it, and I hear how much Jesus talked about it, and it makes me ask the question, and maybe you're like me and you ask the same question, what did Jesus know about money that we don't? Why did he talk about it so much? Why was it so important? What did he understand that we maybe miss or don't really get? And here's what Jesus knew, and and I want you to hear this. Jesus knew that there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we handle and think about and use money in our physical world. I'm gonna say that again because this is important. This is everything we're building this series on right here, right? There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think, handle, and use our money here in the physical world. Let me, let me show you some words of Jesus. You don't care about my words, right? You care about Jesus. Matthew 6, 21, he says this. For where your treasure is, 
there your what? Your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, for the longest time, maybe you're like me, the longest time, when I would read this verse, I thought Jesus was saying, where I spend my money is the things that I think about, right? I, I would think, sorry, I said that backwards. What, what I meant to say was, where, where I think about is the things I spend my money. That makes sense logically, right? Like, like if I'm thinking about eating, I'm going to go spend my money to eat. What I think about is where I spend my money. But what Jesus, and that's what I always thought for the longest time, but what Jesus is saying is the opposite of that, and I gave you a hint about it a minute ago, right? Jesus is saying, where your money goes, your heart follows. And this makes sense to us, right? Think about this. If all of a sudden you woke up tomorrow and you had an extra million dollars, and you decided, I'm going to invest this million dollars in one company, one stock option, I'm gonna buy as much as I can in that company, and I tell you, I get to pick the company for you, and it's a company you've never heard of and never looked at, I would be willing to bet everything I own that the moment you invest a million dollars in them, you would be watching their stock prices every single day. You would be watching the news. You would set up Google News alerts for everything to do with that company. Why? Because your money went there first, therefore your attention, your heart, and your focus followed it. This happens with our kids. We could care less about a certain sport or a certain game they like to do, but the moment we invest in it, we care about it. We, we wanna know about it. We, our heart follows our money. So for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about being generous. And listen, just so we're on the same page, I need to say this. Being generous, generosity, using our money to further God's kingdom is not something I want from you, okay? I, I, you're off the hook. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want something from you. But as your pastor, it's something I want for you. Because there is a fundamental connection between how generous we are and our spiritual walk. They tie together. Let, let me explain it this way. A couple years ago, uh, my truck was having some issues. I have an older truck. Uh, it was a couple years ago, right when it hit 200,000 miles, um, I started having some issues. And you're like, well, yeah, of course, that's 200,000 miles. Everything has issues at that age, right? Well, what happened is I would be setting it alight, and all of a sudden, it would just, like the little RPM gauge, and I don't know a lot about cars, so afterwards, just come and correct everything I say wrong, okay? So I'm setting it alight, and the RPM gauge would all of a sudden just go, and it would just start moving really crazy. And when I would try to go, what would normally be like zero to 60 in a fast truck turned into like zero to 60 in a fully loaded Prius, right? It was just horrible and slow. I couldn't get any, like no momentum, no. I would try to merge onto the highway, and people thought I was like 85 years old trying to get on the highway. They're like, what's wrong with this dude? And it just had no interest. So I took it in to get it looked at. And what they told me was, they could have been scamming me. They, they really could have. I, I paid for it. But what they said was, your truck is an eight-cylinder engine. It's a V8. It has eight of these cylinders. Half the time when you're using it, it's only running on four. Did my truck work? Yes. Did it get me from point A to point B? Yes. But was it running at its full potential? No, it wasn't running the way it was intended to run, the way it was made to run. And let me just say, there are some of you, and, and you're following Jesus, and you're, you're chasing after him, but it doesn't feel like your spiritual life is firing on all cylinders. Maybe, just maybe, the area of generosity can help fuel, start, engage you in that new and more passionate pursuit of Jesus. And as your pastor, see, generosity, it's an area of discipleship, right? Just, just like I, I care about how well you're praying, 
Just like I care about how well you're, I, I desire for you more than anything to fall in love with scripture and to read scripture and to know God's word to you. The same way that I desire as part of your discipleship for you to love your neighbor as you love God, to, to, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, for you, for you to care about them, for you, to, for you to experience mission trips, all of those areas of discipleship, in the same way I care that you live a life of generosity. Why? Because without generosity, you can be doing everything else for God and firing on not your full potential. It matters. Generosity, being generous with our money, is the most tangible way for us to measure our faithfulness in following Jesus. Don't let that slip, right? We can't measure how much we love God. We can't measure how vibrant our prayer life is. We can't measure like different aspects of our faith, but for some reason in scripture, when we see about being generous and how we handle our money, we're, we're, we're so, that this is a very tangible, practical way for us to really measure where we are on our spiritual journey with God. And so today, we're just gonna kind of build a foundation, and then we're gonna build on this over the next six weeks, or the next three weeks. So if you're taking notes, you might write this down as, as a foundational block. We were created to be generous. You and I, all of us in the room, whether we believe in Jesus or not, whether we follow him or not, whether we have any a concept of God or not, as a human being living on the planet Earth, which all of you are, you don't live anywhere else, all of us are created to be generous. Because every single one of us as a human beings is made in the image of God, right? We, we understand this theology if we've been in church a while. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, back in the very beginning when God created everything, right? He created the earth, he created the heavens, he created the animals and the plants and all these things. And after creating all of the things that we see in the world, there's only one thing that God said, it will be made in my image, in the image of the Trinity. What was that? That was us, human beings, what that means is, that means is all the characteristics and traits we see about God in scripture, that he is loving, that he is kind, that he is faithful, that he is good, all of those characteristics, all of those traits, when we are not flawed because of sin, when our, our image, you would say, is not cracked or broken, we reflect that back and we show the world that we are made in the image of our father. It is part of our spiritual DNA that we are like him. Now, what is an aspect of God's image? He is generous. He is an abundantly generous God. In fact, we see this all through scripture where God is generous with things. Scripture tells us that God is generous with his mercy to us. Scripture tells us that God is generous with his patience to us. It's an everlasting patience that never runs out. He's generous and lavishly throwing that patience at us. God is generous with his blessings. Scripture tells us all the time that we are rich in blessings because God gives them so generously to us. God is generous with how he gives us gifts to perform. We have musicians on stage and singers on stage who are gifted because God generously bestowed gifts on them. Some of you, you are incredibly gifted at whatever your career is. Maybe it is in finance or in the military or in law or whatever it is. You are in that position and in that place and you are successful in that because God has been generous to you with the knowledge and the ability to perform it. He is a generous God when it comes to giftings. How else is God generous? John 3, 16, right? One of the most familiar verses in all of scripture. For God so loved the world that he, what? He gave his only son. He was a generous God that he gave his son to us. God is a generous God. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 describes it this way. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, right? He, he, was, he was rich. He had everything. Jesus did. He was this heavenly king who had everything you could ever imagine. What did he do? Yet for our sake, he became poor. Why? He, he got rid of his riches. How? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's this great exchange. Jesus and his righteousness said, you know what? I am rich in blessings. I am rich in righteousness. I am rich in goodness. And I'm going to leave my throne and come down to earth and bestow that exchange, that give that to human beings so in turn they may be rich. They may be righteous. They may be good. He is a generous, generous God. You and I, every single one of us, whether we follow Jesus or not, we were created to be generous. And and for those of us that are trying to follow Jesus, listen, listen, you are the most like Jesus when you are generous. The, the, The act of generosity shows people the very nature and character of God more than anything we will say, more than any other thing we will do. We, we, we could tell story after story of people who come to faith, come to saving faith in Jesus Christ simply because someone gave them something when they did not deserve it or felt worthy of it. Generosity is how we model Jesus to the world around us. Now, this begs the question, right? If generosity is something that we are created for and we're supposed to be so good at, why is it so stinking hard? I, I don't, maybe you guys are, are much more spiritual than me, but it is, it, it is incredibly difficult and hard for me at times to be generous. And so we're gonna talk about this. And the first one, I, I just wanna say this. There, there are many of you in this room and many of you watching online, and many of you down at our Fredericksburg campus, and you are incredibly, incredibly generous people. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for using um, your, your maturity to, to bless others in ways. But here, here's what I, I have a favor I need to ask of you. If you are someone who is actively living this generosity lifestyle, the rest of us need to know. We don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand as like, a, I give a lot of money, right? Like, look at me. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking. Please don't do that. Keep your hands down. Save them for later. Uh, what I'm asking is this. If you would go to our website, if you're someone who has been practicing the, the spiritual discipline, I want to call it that, right? Not just random acts, but the spiritual discipline of generosity. And it has changed your life. Share your story with us. If you go to our website, themount.org slash story, you'll find a form you can fill out. And what we want to hear is for those of us that struggle with generosity, we want to hear stories of other people who have faithfully done it and how it has changed them. So, so please, please go, to, go to the website, share that story with us. For the, for the rest of us that, that struggle with this, I've got four kind of obstacles for generosity for us. And these are just four common ones that, that I see in scripture. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes, we are selfish. Now, I didn't say you are selfish, I said we, okay? Like, we're all selfish. I'm just as selfish, if not more selfish than you. And you say, that's not true. Let me give you an example. At my house, uh, we, there's a lot of selfishness in my house, right? So um, I, I enjoy a nice protein shake. Anyone else like protein shakes? Like you, like you mix some fruit in it, put some protein in there. Not very many of you. Okay, so hopefully this story still makes sense. Uh, thanks for your participation. At least, like, pretend, right? Uh, so what happens is I go to the grocery store and... I buy, you know, like the frozen fruit that's already cut up that you can put in smoothies. And I, I use that for my protein kind of smoothie thing. And what happens is I pick the flavors that I like. I don't like fruit. I don't like my smoothies to have blueberries in it because you get those little chunky things. And it gets, I don't like strawberries. So I get certain ones like mango, peach, these kind of things. And I buy those and I put them in the freezer. And I have these two little, little terrorists that live in my house. 
And what these two terrorists do is they, they know, it's like this radar goes off the moment I buy frozen fruit and they put it, they're like, hey dad, can I have some frozen fruit? And I'm like, well, that's, it's mine. Like I use it for my smoothies. I just want some frozen fruit. And I'm like, fine, whatever. So I did this a couple times. They eat my frozen fruit. So the next day, the next week, I go in there to go, and I'm like, you know, you make your smoothie, like you put the powder in, you put the stuff in, and you're gonna put the fruit in last. So you already halfway made the thing. And I go in there, and lo and behold, there's this entire five pound bag of fruit. It's either all gone, put back in empty, or all the mangoes are gone, it's like just a bag of peaches. And it's like, I don't want a peach smoothie. And so we have instituted at our house, dad's fruit. They get their own fruit. It's a separate bag, we don't mix the two together, why? This is silly, because when I go in the freezer, I want my fruit. <laughs> and it's funny, but here's the deal. I am selfish. Like, my wife gets so frustrated at me, she's like, Adam, it is fruit, but it's mine. <laughs> We're selfish people, right? Like. We are, we, are, we are selfish people. Sin has so kind of permeated our hearts that our default is to think about us and us only, especially when it comes to our money. It's ours. We earned it. It's mine. I made it. I put in the hours. I put in the work. I went to college. I got the education. I earned this. This is mine. No one and no one will ever tell me how to spend it. It's mine, mine, mine. And I just want to do the little things and buy the little things and have the little things that make me happy. It's mine. We are selfish. 2 Corinthians eight or 9 and 8 says it this way. And God will generously, what does he provide all that you, say this word with me. What will he provide? All that you he doesn't say all that you want, right? He's getting in our business now, right? It doesn't say God will provide all that you want. It says God will provide all that you need. So we don't need to be selfish and hold everything so tight. We don't need to be afraid that we won't have enough because God, Scripture, if we trust what Scripture says, we should be able to let go a little more freely and be a little more generous because God is watching over us and he will provide for what we need. It continues, then you will always have everything you need and what plenty left over to share with others. You see, there is a fundamental connection, right? We said this. There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle and use money here in the physical world. Where our treasure goes, our heart goes. What does that mean? If my treasure and my money is always going to things for me, my heart thinks about me. If I only spend money on me, 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 my heart is drawn to think about me, 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 and me. You see, some of us, like my example, that, that's just the example. I'm not gonna share you the deep, dark secrets of why I'm selfish. That's just the one I'm comfortable sharing, right? But we all have moments where we're selfish. How do we break that selfish cycle? Well, our heart goes where our money goes. If our money goes to others and kingdom causes, our heart goes to others and kingdom causes. And all of a sudden, the very simple, small act, and I know I say small because you're like, it's money, it's not small. It is small in the kingdom of God. The very simple, small act of giving to someone else or something else causes us to begin to think about others more than ourselves. It's how we break that cycle 
of selfishness in our lives. We let go. Your heart will follow your treasure. Some of you, you need to let go. Like you, you, you're holding on so tightly and you're wondering why you're so selfish. Let go. Trust God. He says, I'll give you everything you need. I'm gonna take care of you. Don't worry, don't worry. And I'm even gonna give you extra to share. First, we are selfish. Second, if you're taking notes, we misunderstand ownership. We misunderstand ownership. Psalm 24.1 says it this way. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Like you say, well, money doesn't belong. It says everything in it. Like everything belongs to the Lord. He created it. He owns it. He is in charge of it. Haggai 2.8, right? We're pulling all the way in the deep Old Testament here. It says, if it can't get more clear than this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Like he's flat out just telling you, your money is mine, I own it. Deuteronomy 8, 18, it says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who, what, gives you the ability to produce wealth. Everything you have, everything you make, everything you earn, everything that you think you own, guess what? It is not yours, you do not own it. And in American culture, we, we believe this lie that tells us that we, we are responsible for our own success. That we, we, we laced up our boots, we pulled up our pants, and we worked hard, and we, we lived the American dream. And therefore, because we worked so hard and we earned our success, therefore, every fruit that comes from that success belongs to us. No, 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 no. You got to where you are because God blessed you. You got to the job you're in because God blessed you. You got the giftings you have because God blessed you. Therefore, therefore, all of the fruit you have from his blessings does not belong to you. It's his. There's a story in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus says that people, when it comes to finances in the kingdom of God, we are, he uses this phrase, managers or overseers. There's an author, Chip Ingram. He wrote a book called The Genius of Generosity. This is a short little, it's like 50 page. It looks like a devotional. But he tells this story at the beginning of the book, and I love this story. When he said, when I was a young pastor in Texas, he said this guy came up to me, and he was, he was the, the chairman of our elder board, a guy I should have known very well, but I rarely ever talked to him. He said, he came to me and said, hey, let's go and meet and have lunch. And he said that lunch, he, he slid him over a checkbook with a balance of $5,000. And he said, he said, pastor, he said, Chip, here's what I want. I want you to use this money to bless people. And just however you see fit to spend the money, bless people. Chip, Chip tells the story. He says, at that moment, I realized it's not my money. I'm given the money as a manager to use to further God's kingdom. And he says, here's the interesting thing. He said, he said I never thought about this man except for the once a month in the elder meetings. But you can bet the moment I had that $5,000 checkbook in my pocket when I was driving around town seeing homeless people, I kept thinking about him. Because all of a sudden, as a manager, I knew what would he do in this moment? What would he do in this moment? And he said, the other thing is, I, he, said, he said, in my personal finances, he said, I, I never budgeted my checkbook. I, my budget was way out of whack. But you, I can guarantee you, when I was a manager, I made sure every penny was accounted for. You see, you're a manager. You don't own your stuff. Sure, your name might be on it. Your name might be on the bank account, but you don't own it. It's not yours. Everything we have and everything we earn is a gift from a generous God. 
First, we are selfish. Second, we misunderstand ownership. And third, we think money is the answer. We think money is the answer. We live in a culture where money is the answer, according to culture, right? Money promises and provides success, power, fame, security, control. We're bombarded with these messages all over society that tells us that the, the more money we have, the more our bank account is, the more interest we're earning, all of these things, the less stress we'll have, the less worry we'll have, the less popularity we'll have, and the list could go down and down and down, right? Money in our society equals the answer to everything. You're, you're, you're unhappy with your job? Get one that pays more. You're unhappy with your life situation? Get a better, bigger house. You're unhappy with this? Take a vacation. Spend the money on you because money is the answer. It's what you need. But God's word says the exact opposite. In the Old Testament, Solomon, right, the richest guy that ever lived on the face of the earth said this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Why? Because this is meaningless. I mean, the, the richest guy to ever live says, guess what? It's all meaningless. And you say, well, that's just one example. No, no, you can, you can look up quotes on the internet. Go look them up. You can look up Bill Gates. You can look up uh, Rockefeller, all these famous people who had money. And they said, never did I think I would ever find what I have now. And I am miserable and not happy because money does not equal happiness in scripture. In the New Testament, Jesus says it this way, echoing the same thing, Luke 12. He says, watch out. He gives you a warning. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Money is not the answer. Possessions are not the answer. Wealth is not the answer. Now, let, let's just pretend that you're, you're skeptical still. You're like, no, I still think money's the answer. I, I, don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in scripture. That's fine. Let's, let's, let's put the Bible away for a second. I know pastors aren't supposed to say that, right? Let's put the Bible away for a second. There's a book out called The Paradox of Generosity, and it's by this Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson. They work in Notre Dame University, and they started a, like a research lab. It's called the Science of Generosity Lab, and they are sociologists, and their job is to study, the soci like, study people, society, and they studied specifically around generosity. And here's a couple of things they say. The first one is this, and this won't be on the screen. It says, they found that the more generous Americans are, the more happiness, health, and purpose in life they enjoy. Okay, let me, let me show you some quotes. This one will be on the screen. People rightly say that money cannot buy happiness, but money and happiness are still curious related in a way. Happiness can be the result, not of spending more money on oneself, but rather of giving money away to others. And lastly, generosity tends to nurture love in the giver, and love stands at the heart of human flourishing. So generous, generosity naturally tends to promote human flourishing. Listen, take scripture out of it. Here are two, like, sociologists, after surveying thousands and thousands of people from all walks, every socioeconomic status, and at the end of the day, they said, you know what? You want happiness in life? And they, they measured generosity with money, time, relationships, all these things. And they said, out of every category, the number one thing we see in American society that can lead to a better life, happiness, health, mental health, and a purpose in life is giving away your money. Money is not the answer. In fact, I would say that the, the, the act of keeping it and not giving away is actually harming you more than it is helping you. 
it is hurting you more than you realize. Lastly, we got these reasons, and the last one is this. We overly focus on the present. We overly focus on the present. I mean, let's just be honest for a second, right? Like, don't, don't give me the church answer. Let's just be honest. We don't, we don't go around every day thinking about eternity. Like, I know we're supposed to, and we say, oh, no, I think about it. No, we don't, right? Like, we think about the here and the now. We think about what we're having for dinner. We think about why our kids are not in bed when they should be and why one of them is running around in just his underwear outside in the front yard. We're thinking about those kind of things, not the future, right? We, we are focused on the here and now and the present moment. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. I, I love this. Jesus was so smart about money. He, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He says, don't store it up. Don't hoard it. Don't just gather it. He says, where moth and vermin destroy it. And, we're th- and I don't know what vermin is. I, I picture maggots, right? Where thieves break in and steal. Listen to this, verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There is this misconception that Jesus is saying, don't store up for your treasures, give everything away. No, no, no. He's actually saying, store up money. He's telling you to store up your treasures, just not in the here and now. He's saying, instead of storing it all up now, because you can't take it with you anyways, right? Instead of storing it all up now, use that money in such a way that you store up a treasure in all of eternity. So when you get there, there is this plethora of riches waiting for you. Store it up in the future, not the now. Maybe a good way to illustrate this is look on the screen. There's us that live in the now. We're the dot. And there's this huge line that Jesus is saying, use your money for the line. So many of us, all of our wealth and our resources is focused on that little dot, that that, that 80 years, if we're lucky, that 90 years. When Jesus is saying, listen, play the long game. Like you're so worried about the investment rate right now, like negative 12% in the current stock market is nothing to the investment you're gonna get in eternity. Play the long game. It matters in the long game. There is a fundamental connection between your spiritual life and how we think about and handle money. And some of you, listen, you profess to believe in an eternity, but the way you handle your money financially, you habitually act like it doesn't exist once you die. Think about that. If you really do believe that there is something after this life, I would think, I would assume that it would show in our generosity. We need to live for the line. Now, for those of you that are new at the Mount, like one of the things I love about the Mount, one of the reasons I wanted to come be a part of what God was doing at the Mount is because I feel like as a church, we live for that line. Like we recognize that the dot, the moment that happens here is not forever and there's this eternity, right? We say things right here that say, we are for one more. We long for, we desperately pray for, we seek people who are far from God, people who have said no to God before in the hopes that they will one day say yes to God and come to know him for all of eternity. We live for that line. We are for one more. We, we take risk and invite people to know Jesus so that they can live part of that line. We want people to see him, to know him, to flourish with him, to love him, and to grow with him. It's what we pray for. It's what we look for. It's what the mount exists to do. And here's, I'll just be honest with you. God has been blessing us in tremendous ways. Just, just over this past year, let me just show with you a couple things. Across all of our campuses just in the past year, our in-person attendance is up by 37%. Like 37%. 
That's incredible. Just in the past nine months, don't miss this, we have had almost 1,700 first-time guests come through our doors. 1,700. That is up 68% over last year. God is doing something in us. He's moving, and more and more of you are living on mission as we go out to reach one more. In our kids' department, we have, we have an incredible kids' ministry, by the way. I don't know if you've checked it out, but like, they would love to have you volunteer. I'm supposed to say that every time, right? But in our kids' department, <laughs> yeah. But in our kids' department, listen, we have almost 500 kids each and every week coming and hearing that they are special and that God loves them and cares for them. Almost 500 every single week. Here's the big number. That is up 105% from last year. It's tremendous. Our student department, we have a fantastic student department. Our attendance there is up 75% over last year. One of our core values here is the word gather. We, we value gathering people together, getting them together in the same room, whether that's in large or small groups specifically. We get people together. Right now, currently, our best guess, some of you, you don't like to be tracked, so we're still figuring it out, but our best guess is that there are 700 people in some form of a small group or another finding community and doing life with other people. At our, at our Fredericksburg campus, Man, you, you guys have been so generous at our Fredericksburg campus. We have Caleb and his team there who are killing it. We are seeing more and more first-time guests. We, we are launching new small groups. They're sending their first campus mission trip to Puerto Rico this year. And I was told this story by a couple that goes there. I just want to read this story for you. They say, we moved to Fredericksburg in early 2022. We had previously been living and working in Africa. We knew no one at the time. We were praying for God to help us find a church and find a place where we could belong. A friend at work invited us to check out the mount. He, he was for one more. On our first Sunday attending, everyone was incredibly friendly and made us feel at home. The pastor was incredibly encouraging at the end of service and asked us to sign up for groups. So on our very first time, we signed up for a group and we loved the people and how easy it was to get connected. Our kids love the kids ministry. They have made the best friends they've ever had. The mount has been a blessing and life-changing for our family. We are now not only in a small group, we're hosting one and we're serving. It matters. At our, at our El Monte campus, right? We're one church in multiple locations. At our El Monte campus, Yayo and his team are killing us. The attendance is up 26%. We had four salvation decisions there in the past year. We had 12 baptisms. We had 19 kids say yes to Jesus at their VBS. Like, that's incredible, right? Like, their student ministry has tripled in size. They have their first mission trip to Guatemala next month. They are not only a campus that is reaching here, but they are now a campus that is going out doing other things. And, and I say all this, and some of, you are like, some of you are clapping. Some of you are a little bit cynical, right? You're like, okay, you're just talking about numbers and different buildings. I get it, but the church is more than numbers and buildings, right? I can go cynical too. I'm a pastor. We can be there, right? Let me just, let me just put it. It's about people. Across all of our campuses, adults and kids, in the past nine months, we've had 55 people say yes to Jesus for the first time. Listen, that's 55 people whose eternal destiny is different. We don't know the ripple effect of those decisions. We've had 66 people go public with their faith and get baptized online. Our online campus, we're connecting with people all over the world. Just a couple, we, we, we continuously have people from 48 states connect with us, 23 different countries. 
We have more and more people connecting on there, finding community, finding prayer requests, finding people to pray with. In fact, there's a lady by the name of Rita who lives in California. I heard a story about Rita. Rita has been attending our online campus for a while, and she is actively engaged in the prayer features and all those different things. And she is now, she lost her husband recently, but she says that that online campus in California is where she finds her community. And even though she's lost her husband, she's still faithful there every week. And she is now inviting her friends who don't know Jesus to join her from California in an online campus. Man. When it comes to people, this past year alone, our pastoral care team did over 1,500 hours of counseling. That is 1,500 hours of helping marriages on the brink of divorce, helping kids who think suicide is the only way forward, helping families realize that there is more to life than this rat race in American culture. We help people overcome addictions. We send people to Mighty Oaks to get them help with PTSD. We send people to every man's battle to help them, to help them overcome kind of their, their struggles with sexual integrity. We, we give $25,000 in benevolence locally every year just to help people in our communities who need support paying their bills and living from week to week and day to day because they're in a hard time. And it comes to local outreach. During Impact Week, we gave away hundreds of boxes of food. We helped our neighbors. We showed appreciation to our first responders. We gave away a car, you guys. Like, come on. We give away a car. Not only this, this lady, this lady reached out to Jerry recently and she said, hey, guess what? I have good news. Because of the car that the Mount gave me, I have now been able to turn my life around and I am moving and I am on a new path and a new trajectory and my life is different because I had reliable transportation because of the Mount's faithfulness. We, we, tons of stuff. we gave away 250 backpacks to kids. We hosted a sheriff's banquet. We hosted a retirement dinner for teachers. We financially support two homeless shelters in Fredericksburg, as well as two specialty ministries for women. When it comes to local outreach, man, well, you guys are doing so much, right? Like we just finished what we talked about a minute ago, our food fight, our Feed My Starving Children, where we gave away to the cost of $40,000. We gave away 163,000 meals. And some of you, like, we just want to show you. Take a look at this video real quick. And you, if you missed it, watch this video. past three days or four days, because of your generosity, we gave 447 kids a meal for an entire year. Like, that is incredible. We sent 83 people on mission trips this past year where they hosted kids camps. They built houses paid for from your generosity. We, we, we sent a, on one of these trips, a high school student went, and during the mission trip he went to serve on, he gave his life to Jesus and got baptized because he saw what generosity does. Listen, we have partners all over the world 
Papua New Guinea, right? And I know some of you say Papua New Guinea. That's not how you say it. It's Papua New Guinea. We have Papua New Guinea. We have Uganda. We have Haiti. All these places where we are helping build churches, where we are launching schools, where we are helping translate scripture into a new language for a people group that has never had the word of God in their hands before because of your generosity. We have done a lot. Like as a church, we've done a lot of incredible stuff. God has blessed us tremendously. Each and every day, people are breaking free from the power of sin. Each and every day, families are being changed. Marriages are being restored. Children are seeing Jesus for the first time and falling in love with him. Students are finding purpose and joy that is greater than anything this world would promise. And people on the other side of the world are hearing the good news of Jesus. God is doing incredible things through our generosity. And here, let me just say this. I asked our executive pastor, Brian, to pull some numbers for me. And I said, find the number of households, the number of families who are actively participating in giving here at the Mount. 11%. That means 89% of us had no part in any of that stuff we just cheered for. 89% of us didn't build a church in Uganda. 89% of us aren't helping 500 kids know Jesus every week. 89% of us aren't experiencing the radical blessing and joy that comes from being generous with what is God's in the first place. Imagine, we've done all of that on 11%. Imagine what we could do on 15% or, or 20% or, or, or 30%. Imagine, imagine how much different our world would be. Uh, imagine what would be different. Imagine like currently we have four campuses. Imagine if we had seven campuses because we were so generous, not so that we could have more buildings, no, but so that we could go into new areas of communities all over Northern Virginia and say, listen, we present Jesus in a way that maybe no one else in your community is. We can bring the good news to you. We will be with you in your community, in your place, so that your marriage can be different. Your children can be different. Your students can be different. Your life will be different. The thing that you experience left to yourself is not the answer. There is more to this. There is something bigger and greater, and his name is Jesus, and we want to come into town and change the world because we love him and we are for one more. Our generosity could change people's eternity. When it comes to local and global missions, our outreach currently as a church, we give away 10% of everything that comes in. What if we gave away 15%? What if we said 15% of everything we use that come in goes to bless the people in our community and all over the world? Imagine the number of meals we could pack for children who are hungry. Uh, Imagine the churches that we could build in Uganda where they are stuck with nowhere to worship. Imagine the schools that we could build. Imagine the scripture that could be translated into new languages so that someone for the first time in their life could read the Bible in their own words and say, wow, I didn't know God cared enough about me to speak to me this way. Imagine what our generosity could do, but there's only 11% of us participating. Imagine if it was 15 or 20 or 25 or 30. Imagine if we begin to live for the line and not the dot. Church, it matters. So I, I, I want to close with this. I've got some homework for you. Okay, first, please be invested in the next couple of weeks. I said today we're building a foundation, right? 
Next week, we're going to build on this. And then the third week, we're going to build on this. And so what that means is I need you to be here for the next three weeks. Like, because it's really hard for me to kind of, to jump in and say, you missed the last, I need you to be here. Be invested in what God is doing because what I believe firmly as your pastor over and over and over again is that this small act of generosity has the power to transform your life more than you even realize. I love the way 2 Corinthians 8 says it this way. It says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's talking to the church in Corinth about another church, right? He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty did what it welled up into rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Verse four, I love this. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. Paul says this Macedonian church so willingly wanted to be generous, they so desperately wanted to be generous that they were begging the leaders of the church, can we give more? We see this in the Old Testament where Moses says they're building one of the temple things, the tabernacle, and Moses says they had to restrain the people from giving because too much money was coming in. Church, that is my prayer for you as we've started this series as I've been prepping for, is that we would be a group of people who are so passionate, so on fire about God and his vision and his kingdom that we give so generously that people look at us and say, wow, those people are turning the world upside down. Church. It's not something I want from you. It's something I want for you as your pastor. Secondly, and this is the one that I need your homework on. I just want you to go home and I want you to look, right? Our heart follows our treasure. Pull up your bank account and just look where your money's going. If you want to adjust it, please do, right? But this week, I'm just asking you to evaluate where is your heart? Is it in the things of this world and yourself? or is it in the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you are a God who is so generous, that you are a God who so lavishly gives to us. God, this morning we pray as a church that we would imitate you, that we would be people who are generous because it's yours and our hearts would overflow with thankfulness to others. God, we pray for our community and for our world that when they see us, they would not see a building, they would not see lights, they would not see a stage, but they would see people who are so bought in that they are willing to give anything and everything to be for one more. Jesus, we love you. Amen.